One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure. And I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money in the fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. This structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got more than they started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the first shed. This is Traffic Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for being here. Great to have you. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-E-R-O-S dot Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Full line of traps, snares, baits, lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Check out Cox Bros. We're brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. Mark your locations of trap sites. You can check landowner information, run tracks, uh, view the latest aerial imagery. All that and more at onxmaps.com. Download the app and use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off. And I am proud to announce, very excited to announce, our newest sponsor of the Trapping Today podcast, Moyle, Mink, and Tannery. You got everything figured out with what you're going to do with your fur this year? Or are you like me? You're kind of tired of the rock-bottom fur prices and the, the market just not wanting to turn around? Maybe it's time to take matters into your own hands, have your fur tanned, create an alternative direct-to-consumer market. And for those of you who have just caught your first fur of any species, don't make the mistake I did. One of my biggest regrets is not keeping the first of each species that I caught when I started trapping. Preserve those memories by getting your fur tanned by the professionals. Moyle Mink and Tannery is a family-owned business that's been delivering quality product for more than 30 years. They are the go-to when it comes to professional service at a fair price. Go to moyle.net to learn more. That's M-O-Y-L-E.net. Get your order started using their online customer portal. I'm really excited about this, guys, because I know a lot of you have, uh, you're just getting going, you're just getting started trapping, and you you've caught a few fur bears and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do and you haven't sold to the fur market before. And thank goodness for you. Uh, you haven't, you don't have the disappointment of having experienced really high fur prices and then seeing the big crash, but you're looking to figure out what you want to do with your fur. You got a few furs. You're trying to decide whether you should try to tan them, what you should do. My suggestion is just to go ahead and send them, send them out and have a professional do the tanning uh, for your first time so you don't ruin those I mean those memories are a big deal so Moyle is uh, some a place that I've used for many 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 years and I, I've been kind of reaching out a little bit here and there and finally we got in touch and we're able to make something work for a uh, a sponsorship and and I'm really excited about that because, you know, like I said, I was going to recommend Moyle no matter what because I really like the product and everything. But this way, uh, they also get the opportunity to support the podcast. And you guys get the opportunity to show your support by sending furs to Moyle and let them know where you found out about them. So uh, Moyle, M-O-Y-L-E dot net. Check them out. And there's much more to come. I'll probably do a whole episode on sending fur to the tannery and how to go through that process and everything. And for those of you who are long-time trappers who uh, are stacking up the fur and you've always sent to auction and sent to fur buyers and you know the market's down, um, there's a little good news. I think the market potentially might, we might see a little bit of a pickup in demand here in the next month or so. But uh, 
it, it's it we're still in a long slow trough uh, that we're we're hopefully going to crawl out of here but it, it might take a year or two more but in the meantime you can't just leave first setting around you could put it in a freezer we've talked about long-term first storage before but really you get beyond a couple of years and you're taking a big risk of losing that you get your fur tanned and all of a sudden that's preserved for the long term and you know you can just leave it in your house hang it on the wall put it in the closet whatever uh, that fur is going to be good and then you can decide what to do with it and i know a lot of you guys are getting creative and you're you're doing different projects you're you're actually sewing your own tan fur and all that so um, I'm looking forward to kind of diving into that a little more and learning more of it on my own and uh, and learning from you guys as well, kind of sharing that experience as we try to hopefully uh, expand this fur market to more than just uh, the traditional commodity market that it seems to have been. So with that, uh, what else do we got? Tonight's episode, we'll just get straight into it. Uh, we're part two of my talk with Josh, where Josh kind of took over the podcast and started interviewing me about Martin trapping. So we had discussed doing this a while back, and we, we got around to it, and I'm excited that we did, and we got the opportunity to bounce ideas around, and, and I get to share you know my thoughts on Martin trapping. And again, I'm not an expert. I never have been and never claimed to have been or to be an expert in any of this stuff. So these are my opinions. I will mention... Um, on trapperman.com uh, most of you are familiar with trapperman it's actually kind of uh, the the main site is it's kind of sad it's kind of devolved into a political echo chamber with a bunch of people yelling at each other about trump and the country being taken over and and election fraud and all that stuff that's completely unrelated to trapping and uh, I know Paul Dobbins that owns the site is doing his best to kind of keep that in check, but it's really sad to see. So I, I haven't really spent much time on that, but uh, I have, I, I did want to point you in the direction of a sub forum in there called the Wilderness Trapping and Living Forum. That's, that's within Trapperman. And there's a really cool thread that's going on about Martin uh, right now and it's up to like uh, 12 pages or so I've posted on it and some really high profile trappers that are uh, you know really in the know when it comes to Martin there's one guy that I know catches three to four hundred Martin a year he, even though he won't you know he's not a, not much of a bragger um, so if you go into Trapper Man you go to f- click on forums and you go to it's called Wilderness Trapping and Living and the 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 thread right now it may you know by the time you listen to this, it might not be uh, near the top or anything. It's called Martin die-offs. And there's a lot of knowledge shared about different aspects of Martin biology and habitat and, and genetics and it, just everything in between. So uh, that's really where you want to dive deep and learn about Martin from people from a wide variety of perspectives. But tonight, you're going to get my perspective. Thank you for listening in, and I hope you enjoy it, guys. Let's get into it. So earlier you were talking about, uh, hab- like hab- when we were talking about habitat, um, what what exactly do you look for in your area um, to trap Martin in? So I look for, the, the biggest thing I'm looking for is mature forest, uh, tr- overhead tree cover, uh, closed, kind of a closed canopy. And I used to, I used to look a lot for just spruce and fir which is our softwood species here because, you know, they hold their needles all winter long and they provide cover all year. Uh, but one of the the things that, you know, when when I started learning a little bit more about Martin, and I, I still have a, a lot to learn, uh, so I, you know, I just caution you not to listen to everything and take it as uh, very educated knowledge on this, but there was a, st- a radio telemetry study that, that showed that uh, hardwood trees had just as much of an impact on Martin distribution as did softwood. And so those hardwood trees were providing uh, obviously really good canopy cover from overhead predators in the summertime. But it, it seems that in the wintertime they also provide some of that as well. So I, I was experimenting a lot trying different different things you know sometimes set a trap out in the open but not very often but but i mixing in hardwood and softwood uh 
type of habitats and where I was setting traps. And, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm still always looking for cover, but I'm also looking for habitat complexity on the forest floor. So I'm looking for a lot of down logs and, uh, woody debris, stumps, just brush, just things that, things that are, make it more difficult to walk around in the woods, basically. <laughs> and there's, there's a few different couple of the two, re- the couple of reasons was, you know, uh, Martin need a place to den. And if they, there are no cavity trees they're they're obviously not going to have a uh, place to den. There's actually some work up in Canada where people are putting out nesting boxes for Martin, believe it or not. And uh, those seem to have had some, some success there especially in areas where they've had a lot of timber harvest and they don't have a lot of those old cavity trees. Uh, also, the, the complex habitat is, it provides more uh, habitat for mice and voles, those redback voles, which seem to be the primary diet a lot of years for Martin and squirrels. And so there's, there's a lot of food in those areas with more complex habitat kind of looking a little bit for edge now a little more for on edge habitat for places where martin will come out into kind of the edge of these cleared areas that have a lot of young brush and good they're good feeding areas for a lot of small game that that martin would would prey on looking for that complex habitat where like i said a martin can get away from a fisher can hide from birds from above and all that um Overall, it seems that what I've what I've learned in um, just looking back on like where I've caught the most Martin, where I've caught the least Martin over the years, it seems like in northern Maine, uh, consistently the best type of habitat is a mature mixed wood stand, where you have a component of softwoods like spruce and fir, and you also have hardwoods like uh, birch, uh, beech, maple. And uh, a place that has uh, has it's mature, meaning the trees have had a lot of time to grow. There's been time for certain trees, a certain percentage of the trees to mature, die, rot, and fall over and provide habitat. Um, so those consistently have been the best. However, Maine and the other states in the Northeast have a whole different ph- phenomenon that's going on that affects where Martin are. And it also drastically affects our catch rates from year to year. And that is uh, the, the patterns in massed crops. And so because we have such a strong hardwood component where Martin live in the Northeast, uh, primarily here in Northern Maine and, and then in like, uh, I think the Adirondacks in New York sees this as well. We have these, these beech trees that produce these huge uh, quantities of nuts and those nuts provide food for everything from bears all the way down to mice and martin and fisher are no exception they'll eat the nuts and they'll also eat all the animals that are feeding on the nuts so the every the 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 way the the mast crops work is and this is consistent you know not just for beech trees but a lot of other nut trees like hazelnuts and, and others as well as apple trees will see this on on a similar pattern and and uh, just a, a bunch of different species but they seem to be on a two-year cycle where every other year is a really good crop and then the off year is a really poor crop and it, it fluctuates drastically enough that our martin success rates f- uh, for martin and fisher are, are bounce up and down like a yo-yo every other year and the even years, which this year was an even year, 2020, are uh, really low mast years. And that means the animals do not have a lot of natural food, and so they come to your bait more readily. The odd years are odd because the crop is so high, the animals all have plenty of food, and they're, it's much harder to get them to come to your trap. Just like you know any predator that when your stomach's full, uh, you're less likely to, to go around looking for food. And when you find food, you're less likely to maybe uh, 
go out of your way to crawl through a four inch hole in a box like we do here or, or a, you know other other climb a climb a tree to to get to bait or whatever so I, all that kind of ties in with the, the habitat because the places where the martin are most likely to be changes every other year i mean you're you're going to have places that very consistently are going to have martin those oftentimes tend to be those mixed wood areas and the mature wood uh, it tends to be more along streams i don't know whether how much the actual water aspect has to do with it it, it seems to be more tied to the fact that uh, timber harvest regulations are stricter around buffer zone buffer areas along streams well they're they're not as strict as they used to be they're getting much more lenient now but they historically uh, the areas along the streams were more protected where a certain only a certain percentage of trees could be harvested because of that protection there's there's more of that down woody debris there and there's more cover and so a lot of times like you just drive by a road and every stream crossing someone will have a martin trap set there um, so those are like your consistent areas that that are going to have martin but within a broader context the uh on the the years of high mass crops like the odd years the martin are tending to be more along the hardwood ridges up up high feeding on beech nuts or chasing animals that are feeding on beech nuts and then in the off years they tend to be more down in like the cedar swamps and and uh and more in sort of the soft softwood or mixed wood country so it's all really food driven yeah it seems to a be lot, i mean yep. a lot of it in area yeah yeah um i guess i should go back and correct myself when i said something about the mating season when the martin come back out yeah because i forgot martin <laughs> delayed implantation you should have just corrected me well martin i didn't, I, didn't ha- I don't i don't have the details right in front of me on when the breeding season is so i didn't want to say anything and uh i don't have my laptop pulled up right now do you have it of when the breeding season is yeah uh i want to say it's in summer when like when bears do because they have delayed because it's a yeah it's a very long gestation period and and uh so so just maybe a real simple explanation for people is uh a a martin a female martin is bred but she does not actually uh implant those eggs um until later on in the uh what i guess you would you still call it the gestation period um basically there's a long there's a long sort of uh delay between the time that the actual breeding takes place and the uh the eggs are sort of set up for advanced development and the reason for that is it seems to be a adaptive mechanism and i'm sure there's probably a biologist listening to this that's going to correct me on this <laughs> or or is really cringing right now but um, i'm glad they've got your email address and not mine yeah <laughs> there there this is like a survival mechanism that it's a population um it helps the population be more adaptive so the the martin's biological system will determine how many of those eggs actually get implanted and are uh are developed to uh to birthing and the reason for that is in years where there's like really low food availability uh and the martin's body the female martin's body condition is really poor she will not implant as many eggs and what that means is when resources are really limited she's not going to produce a lot of offspring to go out there and further stress those limited resources and lower the survival of of them all of them the whole family uh in years where maybe there's there's been a bunch of martin harvested this is why you know going back to why i said they're very adaptable and they can respond to harvest years where there's really high harvest she'll implant she'll have better body condition because there's lots of food there you know uh, following a, a high harvest there's lots of food available um or maybe even not, nothing to do with harvest. Maybe just has to do with the, uh, you know, those, the availability of, of mast and beech nuts and stuff. Uh, she'll implant more eggs because she has better body condition and there will be more animals available the following year to take advantage of that uh, food availability. And it also helps the population expand quicker after, uh, after really, um, really, uh, 
drastic events that might reduce the population numbers. That's what I'm. Oh. That's what I'm saying about oh. it. That's <laughs> as accurate. How accurate that is, I'm not sure. Someday I'll maybe try to put it down in some better terms, but. So have you have you noticed the difference um, as far as the effectiveness of your baits in the between the high mast years and the low mast years um, as far as the type of bait? Uh, not not necessarily no, and part of that is just me learn trying to learn what to use, what the best bait to use is here. Um, part of it is. Uh, the complication of our our links exclusion devices that maybe makes it harder to determine whether it's actually the bait that's the problem or or it's the um, the ability of the animal to actually get in that box. I, I haven't noticed from year to year whether I haven't noticed enough of a pattern to to say anything definitively. I will say that uh, I've tried different things. I've tried more like, uh, like for instance, I made that, that sweetness lure that has strawberry in yep. it and has um, honey and, and anise. And it's kind of the idea is uh, not early in the season or, or when an animal is maybe not as likely to be attracted by meat, then maybe something sweet like, the, you know, those high crop years, high mast years, they're eating a lot of berries as well. Uh, so, so maybe they're more likely to go to that, but I haven't noticed enough to be able to really say, um, I have noticed that when just in general, obviously when there's more food available naturally, the animals are less likely to go into these boxes or less likely to go to your trap. And I, I have seemed to notice that, uh, using a gland allure is, is much more effective at getting them to, to go into your set so it's it seems like you're you know playing off more of a territorial response as opposed to a hunger response so that's just you know i haven't caught enough martin to, i i think you got to have hundreds of examples of that before you can really say that's what's going on but it's definitely a pattern that i've noticed interesting uh the other thing with baits um so i was using this is another thing that it was just part of the learning curve. When I first started Martin trapping, I just threw out like, you know, we had scrap deer scraps and, and uh, moose scraps from the butcher shops and, and we might've had a little beaver meat and stuff. And I just throw stuff out there and I, that I use what I had. I had, you know, chicken in the fridge. I was in the fridge a little too long. I'd, I'd throw that in and, and I did really well. But when I started trying to get more serious about it and I watched, this uh another one of my i wouldn't say favorite but it was a one of the only martin trapping videos around it was called martin trapping for maximum dollars and it was this guy have you have you watched that one i haven't uh lynn something i can't remember lynn merrill i think his name was and him and his dad made these bunch of outdoor videos it must have been back in the 80s maybe maybe early to sometime in the 80s probably early 90s maybe and they're in they're in southeast east Alaska, I believe, of Prince of Wales Island, and just ungodly high Martin densities, just Martin everywhere. And I've talked to someone more recently about that, and I I guess that's changed with the logging that's gone on there in recent decades. That that that's not really the case anymore. But at the time, there was just so many Martin, it was it was unbelievable. And he would he was making. Uh, I think you said he was making like a thousand bucks a week Martin trapping. Wow. Um, so this guy had all, you know, he had a whole instructional thing on what, how to make sets and all that. And it, the only thing he used for bait was the nastiest, rottenest, stinkiness meat that he could find. And he would take meat and he'd put it in Ziploc gallon Ziploc bags, put it in a 55 gallon drum in the summertime and seal it up and leave it there till trapping season. It was just disgusting. Um, and that's what I thought I needed to do to effectively trap Martin. And so I started doing that. And guess what happened? I stopped catching Martin. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> and, and 
I, I, I didn't think that was the case. I thought, oh, I'm in a different area. Um, I'm using these boxes or these cages or I'm doing this, I'm doing that. There's something wrong, uh, uh, something else that's wrong that I'm not doing right. I'm not using the right lure. And, and I couldn't figure it out. And, and uh, it, was a, it was probably two years of really figuring out that, that Martin just didn't want rotten meat here. You'd still catch some. You know, you'd still catch them, but uh, it it seemed that that was just uh, it it just didn't work. And in in a, obviously it worked great there where he was. And in other places it might work great as well. And it might work some years and not work others. But I w- I went away from that and I went back to fresh meat and and maybe slightly tainted uh, meat. Beaver meat is is uh, the most popular here in northern Maine. I haven't figured out whether that's because it's the most effective here or if it's because it's the most available because beaver trapping season starts a little before martin trapping season and you can always go get a few beaver for your bait. Beaver has a lot of fat in it and it uh, it tends to uh, call very well in, f- in freezing temperatures. It, it emits uh, odor pretty well in those conditions. Mm-hmm. So, so fresh beaver or slightly tainted beaver is kind of the, the way to go here. Um, now, just to prove that there's, there's no, you, you can't get caught in a paradigm on what's best. Uh, Jim Furman and I were texting back and forth two years ago, I believe it was, and, or a year and a half ago. And he says, well, all we use up here is fish. Have you ever tried fish? I got to thinking about it and I guess, no, I'd never tried fish for and I started asking other trappers up here, no, 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 we don't use fish. Use beaver. You know, nobody nobody that I know of uses fish for Martin. So uh, not this season, but last season, I started using fish at a third of my sets. And I went back at the end of the season, and I caught, percentage-wise, I caught more on fish than anything else. So I did it again. This year I used fish at closer to half my sets. And I caught more on fish this year than anything else, and it was – it was by quite a bit this year. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's where I'm at now. Uh, you you never know, right? Right. Yeah, fish is pretty popular up here. Uh, you know, a lot of guys will use salmon carcasses and stuff. Right, and I assume you it's know, just because fish are easier to get than beaver there. but Well, especially somewhere, you know, like Fort Yukon or where they have the, the fall chum runs and they put the – the fish up for the dog teams and stuff in the remote areas yeah. you do have a lot of leftover bones and heads and it's readily available mm-hmm. and it does work i i've probably had my best luck using uh tainted moose scraps yeah. you know for hunting season but that's generally what i have that's most readily available that's we don't, we don't have the beaver densities like you but the beaver would probably be my one of my other choices mm-hmm. and Another thing I found up here is I get a lot of Martin that come to my big baits, like my Wolverine and Wolf sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's because they're like a small Wolverine, you know, and they're just greedy. It's a survival instinct. Go eat as much as I can. Yeah. yeah. But um, that, that trapping video, that Martin trapping video you're talking about, yeah. Does he does he show like making a cubby along um the base of a tree and a Martin can get in and steal the bait and he keeps like adding sticks to it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Martin. You have yeah. seen it. I must yeah, I have seen it. I bet you I watched it with you. Okay. As soon as you said Southeast Alaska, I was like, Man, that's thing Yeah. Yeah, that was the one. That was that that is actually a really good representation of how to use guide sticks in a cubby. I actually forgot about that part of the video. That's probably the only part I remember from that video. <laughs> but it was, like, pretty impressive how far a Martin could reach in without stepping on the trap. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The uh, The other thing I remember from that is, uh, sorry, I'm putting some wood in the stove here in the first shed. It's getting cold. Uh, I I remember he he was on the trap line just, like, running traps and he's got a martin right in the middle of the road and he's like he films it it's like man i've never seen a martin while i was in the middle of the day while i'm while i'm on the trap line just out out in the road like that so it was a like man wow they're really 
there really were high Martin densities there. Yeah. I think there's still some places down there. I'll see it, you know, on the posts and stuff that people put online. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a guy, a I, I, I won't mention his name because uh, he probably doesn't want to be mentioned, but there's a guy down in that more off the mainland that has sent me pictures of his catches, and it's just mind-blowing, like hundreds and hundreds of Martin. <laughs> Never yeah. seen so many Martin in one shed before. Um, and he said that he thought when he first moved there, he he d- he chose that particular area because it was much more productive. Um, and he he looked at trapping in the interior, and he decided that uh, he wasn't going to be able to catch enough fur to do it full time in the interior because the hun- country was so hungry. Um, but down there, they you know there's more rain and uh, it's more it's it's generally more productive. Interesting. There's some people that, that that put some numbers up here in the interior, but it's probably a lot more work than somewhere down in Southeast. Probably more costly too, having to run a snow machine. Yeah, I think it all depends on hurt. on your fuel cost and how far you have to travel. The other thing that seems to be take place in the interior is is you also have like really it's not consistent. So you'll have areas where, you know, like Jim had talked about uh, trapping a hundred plus Martin on foot in five weeks or something like that. Uh, yeah. But, but like an area where uh, other areas after a burn, a few years after a burn, uh, I know Stan mentioned that and how he had his best luck ever after a couple of years after that, that fire in Tanana. So mm-hmm. You you take, you know, big waves of animals migrating into an area, even in hungry country, there's conditions that where you can put up some serious numbers. Yeah, for sure. Most of the, the guys you hear about that are putting up 200 Martin a year up here, you're talking two or 300 miles a line. <laughs> yeah. Versus maybe somebody in southeast like that guy, maybe he's only running you know, 30 miles a line. I, you know, I can't say for sure. I've never been to Southeast, but. Oh, we just assume that if you're in Alaska, you know the whole state. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but you can just say anywhere in the Southeast, the, like the closest point to like the Panhandle from here is probably almost 500 miles <laughs> straight line distance. Yeah. Closest point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Well, is there, uh, did you want to talk about fur handling or anything with Martin? Or I'm not really that good at fur handling in general, so I don't know as I have anything to share. <laughs> they're they're easy to skin. I mean, they they are. One thing that uh, that I'll just throw out real quick um, that was pointed out to me by my fur buyer up here is to uh, to go on your boards and mark your different sizes. You know, like your your large, extra large, double X. I think they do three X for Martin now, don't they? I wouldn't know because we we wouldn't have anything close to that here. <laughs> you don't get Martin stick there. No. We get uh, a one uh, a one X Martin is pretty uh, rare here. It, anything beyond one X is pretty rare. I I think like of the twenty five I got this year, I maybe one or two would be one X. Okay. And, and I'm talking about adult, uh, adult males. They just don't get nearly as big as they do up there. Yeah, I noticed that with those those ones I made that hat. <laughs> yeah, you you said, what did you say? Send two or three Martin and all plenty. And uh, you got them. I'm like, ooh, huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. Um, but anyway, the my fur buyer said to put the marks on your board. So when you're stretching them, a lot of the times you might just be, you know, an eighth of an inch shy of that mark. Okay. And if you can get yeah. a little bit, if you can pull that eighth of an inch, you know, or whatever, and get that next size mark, sometimes that's the difference between, you know, a $50 Martin and a $60 Martin. I'm talking Alaska prices, not main prices. Have you, have you heard of any prices this year yet? Uh, when I was talking to, 
my guy the other day. Um, he had he had a buyer for Martin, and he was thinking forty to sixty dollars. Yeah, like sixty dollars tops. Yeah. So that's I mean that's respectable. Well, when I first started yeah, last year a lot of them were selling for like thirty. Yeah. When when I first started trapping Martin, you know, a, a nice heavy dark XL would get you forty bucks. So when they went up to a hundred dollars, I was like, wow. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't think it as was far as low, like the huh? Yeah, it was. It's but I mean that was nothing to to me, you know. Forty bucks for a critter was pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. But I'm thinking like when I started, we my first year, I think I averaged thirty eight, um, and they're more than half the size of yours. But uh, yeah, it, I did. I do remember a couple years of twenty five was twenty five to twenty seven was the average. So that that probably makes sense. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna see clearances you know, in, in the auction houses or anything yet. It'd be nice, but when when the local guys here, they, they've got a pretty good um, customer base and stuff, and when they're not, I guess when they're hesitant to buy, they, you know, things aren't super great. We only got a couple of local fur buyers here in Fairbanks, but... Yeah. Um, oh, my wife, and, just, and my wife I, just walked by the outside the fur shed with your fur hat on she's going out to check the cows <laughs> <laughs> martin tail bouncing around on the top i get it i might have to Ugh. pin my tail back though on mine the last few days sometimes that tail gets in the front a little bit in the way oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm complaining already jeez uh, I, I was gonna leave the fisher tail put the fisher tail on there but i figured 18 oh. inch tail was probably too much it'd be in your face and yeah the martintail is good the uh i did talk to about links the other day about selling links and stuff and it's that's not even good up here we're probably looking at if you can find somebody to buy them probably 60 dollars average that's about what it was last year huh yeah about that i think people were more readily buying them last year than they will be this year yeah kind of kind of disappointing but this will probably be the last year, uh, a high cat, last high cat year, at least in the interior. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like uh, sounds like they're on the on the way down, and in some places it's already it's already getting pretty bad. Yeah, uh, not seeing the snowshoe hares, the trails, and everything. You know, running the snow machines through the woods that we have seen the last couple of years. It's, I mean, it snowed. We probably haven't had any snow here at the house for ten days. And running that short little line with the kids, um, there's no new snowshoe hair tracks on it. Wow. Wow. On top of that. <laughs> yeah, so you can't teach your kids how to snare rabbits right now. No, and I was kind of looking forward to that. And I'm kind of excited that the oldest one is really getting into it. And, and she's, uh, I mean, she's a trooper. She's been out there running it with me when it was 18 below one day. Jeez, Granted, awesome. it, yeah, it's only two and a half miles or something to run the sled out and back. But and she said in on that so, ATA meeting with uh, Jim Massick interview, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. She's interested enough to to uh, to actually sit down and watch that stuff. Yep, I was I don't know, I was excited to catch some links and stuff so she could kind of help me skin them. They had, they helped last year with a couple of the cats that I got and one of the Wolverine that I caught. So that was kind of exciting to not grossed out by it anyway. Yeah, right. Well, do you have any final thoughts or anything for for a newbie Martin trapping? Somebody who's just looking to get into it? or uh, I would say try to find Martin before you get too fired up about it make sure you got martin there because i've had quite a few emails from people who are are all fired up about going martin trapping and they ask for advice and they go out and make a bunch of sets and they they don't catch a martin um, and yeah. i think the most common problem with that is is people are just trapping in areas that 
either don't have any Martin or don't have very many Martin. So uh, f finding them, sometimes you got to, like if you're in that Intermountain West area, especially, there's, they're not evenly distributed. They're going to be probably in pockets. So, you know, just uh, sometimes waiting for snow and finding tracks is, is the key. Um, patience, you know, sometimes they, uh, there are periods of time where there's not much fur movement at all. So, you know, you see a set of tracks, they don't, they don't have massive home ranges. So there's, you see tracks, well, there's a couple things, you know, pretty, pretty good chance you see tracks, the Martin's going to be back there. Um, there are cases where, where like, uh, uh, my friend Butch up here was Martin trapping and Fisher trapping last year. And he said, like, we got a whole bunch of snow. We got a couple feet of snow in November and he was going through, uh, pulling sets and he said, all of the Martin tracks and all the Fisher tracks are going in one direction. <laughs> so, uh, so in some cases, you know, there's, there's movements like that, maybe related to snow and other conditions, but, but yeah, I'd say just make sure you're in an area that has Martin before, uh, getting too disappointed about not catching any and, uh, keep it simple and have fun. Uh, really that's, that's, uh, what it's all about. I think don't expect to get rich. Don't expect to catch a whole pile of fur, but enjoy it. Yeah, I would agree with that. If you need to find Martin because it can get really discouraging really quickly if you're you're not catching anything, especially for a new trapper. Um, I went through that, obviously, but I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe you didn't since your first catch was a Martin. Yeah, and, and that may have been what cursed me for a few years before I actually figured out, you know, <laughs> that it wasn't that easy. So sometimes there's advantages to things being rough for a while too. Oh, I would agree with that. It uh, helps a guy with patience and humility. I think. <laughs> oh, I would. I would also. Uh, I would also add that you never don't ever think that you have it all figured out. In in all, not just Martin trapping, but all trapping in general, because there's always something going on that you probably haven't learned yet. Might be something to do with that top twenty percent too, like Ron Jones is talking about. Yes, yeah, for sure. The yeah, you may be, you, you may you may be catching the eighty percent, and uh, and do everything almost do a lot of things wrong uh, that that will never catch you that that other twenty percent. But you may not know it. You it may not matter either. But uh, it, it just that's the beauty of trapping. This it's all you can go as deep as you want to go with it. You can set, uh, run down, set a couple of one tens and some uh, runs uh, for muskrat in a swamp, or you can like figure out that exact square inch where you need to set that trap for a wolf that may be back uh, sometime between now and April, <laughs> and and figure out some specific formula on exactly how to catch that animal and and factor in every single variable. So uh, with trapping, you you have the freedom and the ability to to take that however far you want it and uh there's guys there's guys that i'll meet especially at conventions uh you find these guys that are just so into it and every single little detail in there they're guys that like uh you know like, like red o'hearn seems to be this this character where uh he is he's we're at Neil Olson's convention. He's probably the most experienced uh, mink trapper, raccoon trapper at that that in, of the twenty five hundred people that are there. And he's sitting there in demos and just watching and asking questions and he just it's so deep trying to figure out maybe that that whole weekend there's that there's one piece of information he might pick up that'll make him a better trapper. Um, and then there's other guys that are just uh, walking around and. and shooting the breeze and drinking a few beers and having a good time. So, uh, and there's guys that do both. So, uh, you can, you can basically suit your style of trapping to whatever fits, uh, whatever fits your personality and your desire and the amount of time you have available and the resources, uh, trapping's just so variable and, and, uh, it, there's a little bit for, for just about everyone. For sure. Well, yeah. I'll let the I'll let you wrap it up. 
That way you can give out your email address for comments. Yeah, jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. You mean you don't want them to email you with comments and questions? Uh, I'll let you be the middleman. Middle okay. <laughs> Any questions for Josh, uh, you can let me know, and I'll, I'll forward them along. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Josh. I, I appreciate this, and uh, I know some people were hoping that you'd just take over the whole thing for, for the whole episode. So uh, uh, <laughs> maybe some other time that will happen. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's always fun, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for the opportunity. And, and I'm down for doing something like this again, or you can put me on the, on the fire about something more. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll have to do a beaver trap at one sometime. Uh, you've got way more experience with that because our beavers are not as dense up here, but. Yeah, that'd be fun. Absolutely. Well, that's what I know about Martin and Martin trapping. It's my favorite species to trap for, uh, reasons I specified before. I just love the places that Martin take me. I love the country that Martin thrive in and the country's changing in a lot of places and it sometimes makes it a bit of a challenge but I figure if Martin can survive in a place and it's probably a place I want to live. So that's kind of my uh, my protocol for wherever I end up living in uh, in North America. If Martin can make it I can make it. Um, so yeah I hope you guys like that, and it's one of those deals where the more you think about a, a thing and get analytical about it, to me, uh, I enjoy it even more if if I can you know, learn a few things and then use that knowledge to come up with more questions and try to seek to answer those questions and, and learn more along the way. It's kind of uh, intellectually stimulating, I guess, and hey, probably helps you catch a little more fur, too, so... All right, guys, um, finally, I want to mention the Trapping Today store, trappingtodaystore.com. The Mustelid t-shirts, Mustelid or Mustelid, however you uh, pronounce it. I, I may pronounce it wrong, but that's just the way I say it. The Mustelid t-shirts with uh, all of the Mustelids of uh, North America, the weasel, mink, otter, martin, fisher, wolverine, um, it's a beautiful shirt. You can check that out at the Trapping Today store. You can get some lure, like my long-distance call lure, the Walter Arnold book, um, and I get a couple tanned otters on there. So if, you, if you're looking for two tanned otter pelts to do a project with or something, or just, to, or just one for a wall hanger, go check that out. I had a coyote, sold the coyote, so um, I have maybe a couple, one or two more tanned furs to put up, but until the, after those are sold, then I'm, I'm not, I'm going to be pretty much uh, out of it until, out of stock until I get my next shipment back from Moyle, which is probably going to be two or three months, I, I would guess. So, um, if, if you want to pick those up, then, then go check it out, trappingtodaystore.com. A little more I forgot to mention earlier on is I am working on a new project. I don't seem to be able to slow down very long before I start something new and this is is probably going to be a book and I'm I'm just kind of getting started on it's kind of I guess what you would call a passion project it's something I'm super excited about and I really enjoy working on it and I just do not know what it's going to look like when it's all said and done but uh, I as I get further along I'll kind of keep you guys in the loop on that or I'll try to and if it does turn out to be the product I think it'll be uh, it's gonna be it'll it'll be a book it'll it'll likely be a book and it'll be something that uh, for some of you is going to be pretty awesome pretty awesome experience to to read through and to experience and kind of walk in footsteps of myself and and some of the old time trappers that have gone before us so again I'm, I'm still kind of wading through and trying to figure out exactly how I'm gonna turn this into into an actual product it's one of those things where uh, it could end up being a 300 page book that I just publish one copy of and put on the shelf in my in my office uh it's just so 
I don't know. It, I'm kind of doing it for myself for selfish reasons. I, I want to preserve the memories. And I also, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like I really need to get this down on paper. So I'm working on it. And, and if I end up deciding to share it with the rest of the world, I guess we'll, we'll see where that takes us. But finally, are you guys subscribed to the Cotsboro's newsletter? Are you, you're not seriously, if you're not, come on. You serious? You haven't subscribed to the Cotsboro's newsletter. So go to Cotsboro's.com and uh, get in their newsletter sign up section of the page. You, if you want to be able to, to uh, get updates on, on anything that's going on at Cotsboro's, they're going to have promotional codes, uh, special discounts. Let's say they've got a, a closeout and they want to get rid of some products and they, they knock the price way down. Uh, maybe we hear a little bit about what you know, we didn't. We're not getting Kellen on the podcast. Maybe we'll hear about what he's doing in the lure shed, uh, and and maybe he's mixing up a new a new product. I know in the past, you know, it'll be an update on a new lure that they're developing, or you know, anything like that. Um, you you got to be signed up to the newsletter to to get notified of that. And if you are signed up to the newsletter and you haven't seen anything in like two months, you definitely want to check your uh, your promotion folder if you get Gmail or whatever your email provider has as kind of a, a spam filter or whatever, because sometimes that stuff gets filtered out and you don't really see it in your inbox. I know that's happened to me, and I've had to click on it a couple times, and you, you kind of pull it into your inbox, and then uh, eventually, for me, Google figures out that, oh, you do like to read this, so we're not going to put it in promotions. We'll put it in your main inbox. But anyway, go to cotsboroughs.com, sign up for the newsletter. There's a, a special spot on the site that says newsletter sign up you just put in your email address that's all you got to do and you're going to figure out uh, you're going to be able to keep in touch and on the pulse of what's going on in the Cotsboro's world and that's it for this week guys until next time keep on talking trapping keep on thinking trapping hope you're out there set some traps we'll catch you on the next episode thanks